In the midst of many voices in our head that wage war against our identity, we forget who we are in Christ. I need to remind myself daily that my identity does not lie in my mistakes, my struggles, my embarrassing moments, those discouraging negative voices in my head, etc. Satan is constantly fighting believers to cause us to lose sight of our true identity. God is constantly pouring out his grace and reminding us of who, who we are. He is constantly reminding me not to dwell on my failures, receive his grace, and press on. When those voices tell you that you are misunderstood by everyone, God reminds you that he understands you. When we feel unloved, we are reminded that God loves us deeply and unconditionally. When we are engulfed in shame, God reminds us that Christ took upon our shame on the cross. You are not defined by who the world says you are. You are defined by who Christ says that you are. In him is where your true identity lies. Who am I that the highest king would welcome me? I was lost, but he brought me and all his love for me. All his love for me. Who the sun sets free, oh, it's free indeed. I'm a child. Great job, team. Thank you for leading us to the throne of grace this morning. Hey, I'd like for you to just take a minute, turn around, greet four or five people, welcome them in the name of Jesus this morning, and please remain standing for prayer.
All right, if you'll please remain standing for prayer. Thank you for greeting each other in the name of Jesus. That's why we're here today. We're here to have fun. But even when we have fun, whatever we do, we do it in the name of Jesus Christ. And we are so glad you've chosen to worship with us today on this Fall Family Fun Fest Day. We've moved this back two weeks from the calendar date last year so it would be cooler and it would feel more like fall. Best laid plans don't always work out. But anyway, we're so glad that you are here to worship with us. Uh, we have a family that's come down to the front this morning. Um, a member of this family, a member of our church, is going through some, uh, a serious health battle right now. His name is Michael, and Michael has double pneumonia. He has a bacterial infection. He has a viral infection, and he has a blood clot in his leg. So this is very serious. Um, a member of our church who has been so faithful to be a part of the family over the years. And since he can't be here this morning, uh, his father-in-law is actually standing in his stead this morning. And we're going to pray. I know um, maybe if you're here and you haven't been part of this church and you don't know how we operate, we believe in healing. We believe that God can divinely touch, and we're thankful for doctors. We're thankful for medical personnel. We believe God uses them as well, and we don't doubt that one bit. But we also believe that all healing comes from God. And so this morning, we're going to go, and we're just going to ask God to do a special work in Michael's life right now to touch his body, to touch his spirit. If he has any fears, I don't know if you've ever been through a health crisis. I've been through a health crisis. Fear can be a big part of that. And so we're just going to ask that God would calm every fear, that he would speak peace to every storm. You're welcome to join us this morning. I know we have a lot of folks in here today, and that's great. But you're welcome. If you would like to surround this family with love right now, you are welcome to come and join us at the front as we pray over this family and as we also pray for the service this morning. God is good, amen? We trust in God. We trust in His goodness. I love that song that we sang. It's absolutely one of my favorite new songs about the goodness of God because I serve a good Savior. I serve one who loves me. Even when I can't see it, I know He's still working, working on my behalf. And so we're going to talk to Him this morning. Would you join me as we pray together? In my Father's house, there's a place for me. Boy, there was a lot of work done by Jesus to make that possible. Stepping off the throne of glory, being born in a manger, kings were in their palaces, religious leaders were plotting and planning, and Jesus comes, the king of glory, to this earth to live like us, but yet without sin. A perfect life. A perfect life that was offered on a cross to pay for everything that I've done wrong, to pay for the sins of this world, to give us a way that we could have a way to the Father's house and there could be a place for us. God, we're so thankful for that today. We're thankful for Jesus. We're thankful for the plan of salvation. We're thankful that, God, you considered mankind. We're a little bit lower than the angels, but yet you considered us. You cared about us, and you sent your son for us. God, we come to you on behalf of one today, one of our member, the members of our church, a family member who is sick this morning. And he has family here, and they're concerned about him. And, God, I, I thank you for that concern. I thank you that we are called to bear each other's burdens. And in doing that, we fulfill the law of Christ. And God, no doubt there's some fear this morning. And God, there's some uncertainty. But one thing we're certain about is who you are. And we're certain about your power. And God, we're just, we're just dust today. We can't, we can't tell you what to do. But we're also your children. And so we come and just, Father, today we ask that you would work. We ask that you would raise this young man up, restore him to complete health for his wife, for his kids, for his extended family, for those he ministers to at work, for those he ministers to in this community, God. I just pray that you would raise him up. 
And whether that be through a diagnosis that a doctor makes and a prescribed treatment or God, whether that's just a divine touch that baffles the doctors, Lord, we know you can do it all. There's nothing too hard for you. And so today in the name of the Father and in the, of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, we pray. And God, we ask that your work would be done. Thank you in advance, God. We're going to praise you for what you do when you raise Michael up and you restore him to health, God. He's going to remember what you did. And he's going to praise your name for that. We are so certain. And we are as well. Now today, God, we pray that you would be in this service. It is a day designed to have fun and fellowship and just to celebrate the life that you've given us. And God, we're so thankful for this opportunity. Lord, we know we have brothers and sisters all over this world, Christians who are not able to meet like this. They're not able to meet out in the open. They're not able to have fellowship the way we are and invite the community to join in. God, we know we have brothers and sisters who are in underground churches. The laws of their nations are against them. And so, God, we thank you for our freedom. We thank you that we live in a nation where we still are free to praise and worship you. And, God, we pray that you would... Give us wisdom to defend that. Help us not to take it for granted. And so today, God, as I speak, Lord, if it's just my voice, we know it's not going to be worth anything. So I ask God that you would speak today. If you don't speak, there's nothing of any worth going to be said here. So God, I pray that you would speak to us. There may be one here today, God, that doubts your existence. It wonders why we even do what we do. And God, I pray that you would speak to them. And they might even be baffled at where that voice came from. And by the end of this day, they would know that there is a God in heaven. And he does speak to men, and he does work in the affairs of man. And he, he did send a son, a savior, to save us from our sins. And so, God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the Holy Spirit. We thank you for this great opportunity that we have to worship you today. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We exalt your name. May your name be glorified. Not to our name, not to the name of Rushwood or my name or any other name, God, but your name is the name that deserves the glory. And we praise your name today. It's in the matchless name of Jesus that we pray all of these things. And Rushwood said together, amen. Let it be so. Thank you. Thank you so much for praying with us this morning. Good morning, church. We are, we are so glad that you are here and you've chosen to worship with us today. Um, great job by our worship team this morning. Uh, we're so glad to be able to highlight our children's ministries here. We believe that we have some wonderful folks working with our children, and um, so we'd love for you to be able to take advantage of that. We try to be a family church here. We try to have something to offer for every single age group that might be part of our church, but we love to focus on families. We believe that Satan, we believe that we have an enemy that comes against families and tries to tear them down and tries to destroy them, but we believe that our God is greater, and we believe he is working through his church, and we believe he is working through this church to build families up. So we would love for your students to be part of our Awanas program on Wednesday nights. We'd love for them to be part of our Rushwood Kids program that meets most Sundays of the year, we take about five off to give our workers a break. Today is one of those where we have our kids in the worship service with us. Gives our workers a break and also gives our children a chance to experience church. We think that that is important. We also have a youth program that meets on Wednesday nights, and we would love for your teenager and middle school or high school to come and, and check that youth program out. Some amazing things going on in our church and so we're just so could you, could you give a round of applause to our children's workers and our youth workers today well I usually try to highlight something good before we dive into our sermon and so this morning I want to do that but what I want to highlight to you is our church's mission statement our church's mission statement when I first came here we've only had two mission statements since I've been the pastor here and the first one was just three words. It was reach, grow, serve. But as we looked around, churches everywhere were using something very similar 
to that, and we, we don't like to fit in. We like to stand out around here a little bit. I don't know. It may be my, my personality or whatever. But uh, So we actually developed a new mission statement, which basically means the same thing as the first one, uh, but it's just said a little bit different. So our current mission statement, the mission of this church, how we want to operate, we want to kind of hang everything we do on these two phrases. The first phrase in our mission statement is lives made new, and the second is love made visible. Lives made new and love made visible. If you don't understand what that means, let me kind of give you just an overview of why we chose that as our mission statement. Lives made new. We truly believe there's only one way in this world, only one way to see your life reborn, to see your life made new, and we believe that is through Jesus Christ. We don't subscribe to any other way, any other path. We don't believe that multiple paths lead to heaven, that you can get there any way you choose. We believe there's one way, and that way is a man, and it is Jesus Christ, the God-man who died to save us from our sins. And we believe if you come to him, and if you repent of your sins, and you turn to him in faith, that he gives you a new life. It's not, it's not just a rearrangement of your life. We believe that he literally makes your life new through his Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes in, renovates your life, changes your life around, and you have a new life in Jesus Christ. I experienced that when I was eight years old. Jesus came into my life, changed my life forever. I've let him down many times, but he's never let me down one single time. And he's still working on me. That's great. He's got, he knew he had to start early on me. There was a lot of work to do. I think that's why I got saved at eight years old. But we literally believe that lives can be made new through Jesus Christ and through the good news about him. So that's the first part of our mission is to see people have lives made new. But the second part of our mission is love made visible. We believe that when Christians say to our community, those around us who maybe don't know Jesus, we love you, we love you, oh, we, we love you, we're Christians, we love everybody, but we never do anything to show that love. When we just come and we worship together on Sunday mornings and come back again and worship together and learn together on Wednesday nights, but we never reach outside of these four walls and we never do anything to show our community that we really do love them. Because what's the old saying? Actions speak louder than what? Words. Actions speak louder than words. So when we say love made visible, what we're talking about is the love that we have in our hearts through Jesus Christ that is shed abroad in this world through our actions, through the way that we treat people, through the way that we love people, people that are different than us, people who might dress different than us, speak different than us, vote different than us, think different than us, whatever, we want to show them that we love them because Christ first loved us. And so that's the second part of our mission statement. Lives made new, love made visible. That's what we're all about. And I understand right now we live in a culture and a world that has, defines love very differently than what this book defines love as. And so sometimes that can get confused. But the love of God, I believe, never fails. I believe the, the word of God never returns void. And so as we continue to love people and show them that we care about them, show them there is a God in heaven who can change their lives, I believe we see a transformation not only of ourselves but the world around us. And that points to a world that's coming. That points to a, a kingdom that's coming that is just going to be an amazing, amazing place to live. I get to be part of it, not because of anything I've done, but because of what Jesus has done for me. And so that would be our deepest desire is for you to be part of it as well, to be part of this kingdom that is coming through Jesus Christ. So that's what we're all about. Lives made new, love made visible. You'll see it on our wall as we go out of here. You might see some people wearing it on their T-shirts or on our website, and that's what that is all about. And we'd love for it to invite you to come and be part of that. If you're here today and you're a guest with us, you don't have a church home, welcome home. We're glad you're here. We'd love for you to be part of our church family. We love to see new people come in and experience Jesus. So if you have questions, you can hit us up. You can talk to us about those. We'd love to answer any questions for you that you have. If you did not fill out a Connect card, those are in the back of your pew, and we'd love for you to fill those out, drop them off in our giving boxes, and we'll have one of our staff to be in touch with you, answer questions, and help you get plugged in to being part of Rushwood Church. Well, today we are concluding our sermon series. It's called The Bible's Greatest Hits. 
the Bible's greatest hits. If you've been here and you've been part of that series, have you appreciated it? Has it been a, a good series for you? It's our, it's our longest sermon series of the year, and so I hope it was good, because if it wasn't good, we, we took a lot of time on it. So I hope it was good, and I hope it blessed you. But if you haven't been here, what we have been doing is we've been looking at some of the most famous parts of the Bible. We believe all Scripture is God-breathed from the very, very beginning to the very end. From Genesis 1 to Revelation 22, we believe it's all God's Word. We believe it's all powerful. We believe that it, it can change hearts and lives by directing us to who Jesus Christ is. And so it's not that we're saying the entire Bible isn't important. But there are some parts that have just stood out over the years that have been a great blessing to people as they have applied them to their lives, to their hearts, and to their minds. And so this morning we want to talk about one more of those. We want to talk about one more of the Bible's greatest hits. Let me say this, though, before uh, we get into that. Next week we are starting a new sermon series, and it's called Overcomer. How many of you know there's a lot to overcome in this world? How many of you know that this life is not easy? The older I get, the more I understand that this life is tough. Even walking it as a Christian, even walking it with Jesus by my side, this is not an easy life. And there are things that we face that we have to overcome. And so this series is going to have four parts. It's going to be a month-long series. We're going to be talking about overcoming fear. How many of you know fear can cripple you? Fear can hold you back. Fear can destroy you. There's a song out there, a uh, contemporary Christian song that I love that says fear is a liar. Fear is a liar. It will lie to you. It will intimidate you. And so we're going to talk about overcoming fear. We're going to talk about overcoming anger. Anger can be a crippling thing. Anger can be something that, that destroys lives and destroys testimonies. And so we're going to talk about how we can overcome anger as Christians. We're going to talk about overcoming addiction. What a timely topic, man, especially in this area right now. It just seems like there's so much addiction going on right now. Drug abuse is rampant, uh, and I believe there are, forces, there are forces in this physical world, and I believe there are forces in the spiritual world that are behind a lot of that. And so we're going to talk about ways to overcome addiction. And then lastly, we're going to talk about overcoming depression. I hear so many people, I talk to them, and they say, I'm just depressed. I'm just struggling with getting through life. I'm struggling with making it. I'm struggling with having joy. And so we're going to talk about all four of those. And I'd love for you, if you're here today and you don't have a church home, I'd love for you to come back next week and just join us for that service. If you're checking out churches, what I always tell people is, don't just give it one Sunday. Because you might come on a really great Sunday and think, man, that is the best church ever, and they just had a really great Sunday. Or you might come and think, man, that was not the best thing I've ever been part of, and they just had a really off Sunday. I always say when, when you're checking out churches, give it at least four weeks. Give it at least a month. Then you'll get the overall flavor of what that church is about and, and see if that's where God wants you. And look, if, we don't, if God doesn't want you to be part of our church, we don't want you to be part of our church. But if God wants you to be here, if you feel called to be here and be part of this family, we would love to have you. So I'd love to just encourage you, come back over the next four weeks, give it a try and just see if what we do blesses you and if it helps you in your life and if it points you in a good direction. So that, that's going to be our new sermon series called Overcomer. But today we're looking at one more of the Bible's greatest hits. It's Proverbs chapter 3 verses 5 through 6. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 through 6. Uh, this morning I'm going to be reading from the New American Standard Bible. I like the way that that translation puts it. Last week we talked about Ecclesiastes, and we said the book of Ecclesiastes was a wisdom book. It's there in the Bible to give us wisdom. It's there in the Bible to tell us how to live. It's there in the Bible to point us in a good direction. So we talked about Ecclesiastes being a wisdom book. Proverbs is another part of the Bible that is a wisdom book. Now, first of all, you kind of before we get into this, you kind of have to know what a proverb is. A proverb is a saying that is generally true. It's generally true. It is it's something that's almost like a truism, something that's said that usually it's going to work out that way. It's a general truth that when applied to your life, most of the time it's going to work out the way it says. Proverbs, though, most of the Proverbs that are given, you cannot make an ironclad rule out of them. That's not what they're there for. They're not there to be ironclad rules. They're there to give you a general idea of wisdom for living. 
Let me give you an example. We already talked about kids this morning. And our Rushwood kids, we have a verse attached to our Rushwood kids ministry. It's Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 6. And it says, train up a child in the way that they should go. And when they are old, they will not depart from it. And I've had people ask me before, does that mean that if you had a kid and you raised them in church and you raised them in prayer and you raised them reading the Bible and they go off and they get into left field and they just leave the faith and they leave the path that they should be on, does that mean, is that verse saying that you did not raise them the right way? That's not what that verse is saying. What that verse is saying is if you'll raise up a child in the way they should go, generally speaking, they're going to stay on that path. And even when they get old, what you taught them will still be part of them and will still be in them. But it does not mean that because you're a good parent, you're going to have a kid that acts good. There are plenty of good parents out there that have children who don't act like the parents do. Sometimes the apple really does fall far from the tree. So that's an example of a proverb that is generally true, giving us some wisdom, but it's probably not going to work out 100% of the time in every situation. So when you read Proverbs, you kind of can know that ahead of time. That's what the Bible is teaching us there. But today's set of verses are a proverb that I believe will always work out. 100% of the time, I believe that Proverbs 3, 5 through 6, when it's applied, will always work out. It's an ironclad rule. It's, it's kind of an exception in Proverbs. It says this, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Let me read that one more time because that, that might be somebody's life verse. I don't know. I mean, that would be a great verse to have or a set of verses for your life verse. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. Let's show God some appreciation for his word this morning. It's powerful. It's powerful. I always say the best thing said on a Sunday morning is when I read the scripture. Because what I say has some of me in it oftentimes, but this is from God. This is what God is trying to teach us. But this morning I just want to take this part by part, almost word by word in some part, and parts, and break down what this is actually teaching us this morning from God's word. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. First thing we might ask is, what is it telling us to do? Well, it's telling us to trust. It's telling us we need to trust. How many of you feel like you're a trusting person? You won't be for long. <laughs> if you're a trusting person, I used to be a person who, who wanted to think the best of everybody and, and put my trust in everybody and kind of give everybody the benefit of the doubt. And if you're a trusting person, it's very easy to get burned. It's very easy to get hurt because there are a lot of people out there who are just ready to take advantage of a trusting person. And so in my life, I have to be very careful because I'm by nature a trusting person, but I've been burned so many times that a lot of times I tend to be guarded. Now I'm the type of person that has trouble trusting people, and we can get too far either way on that. But it tells us to trust, to trust. The English definition of trust is more like an idea. Trust is a concept. Let me give you the English definition. It says, trust is a firm belief in the reliability, the truth, the ability, or strength of someone or something. That's the English version. The English definition is kind of an idea. Trust is an idea. It's a feeling. It's almost an emotion there that we have trust in someone. I trust you. I believe you. But if we go to the Hebrew word that's translated with trust, the word is actually batak. And batak means something a little bit different. In the Hebrew, it means something a little bit different than actually the English definition means. The Hebrew word means to trust, to have confidence. We sang the song Confidence this morning. That all worked out great. To have confidence, to be confident, to be bold, to be secure, to make secure, to feel safe, or to be careless. In other words, the Hebrew version of trust is more of an action. you got to do something to prove trust. I can say I trust you all day long, but if I won't act on that, then I really don't trust you that much. I almost, I really thought about it this morning, 
I really thought about having somebody come up here on the stage and do a trust fall. You ever seen anybody do that? where they fall off the stage and somebody catches them. I think our youth group did that a few weeks ago. I, I never set it up. I never got around to that, but I was actually going to have somebody fall off the stage to prove if they trust somebody or not. Probably the reason I didn't do that, I don't know if you guys seen the video on Facebook where the guys set up for the trust fall, and they're, they're behind him, and they're ready to catch him, and when he falls, he falls forward where there isn't anybody. I don't know if that was fake or not, but I don't know. It just made me a little bit nervous. I thought, we don't need any sort of insurance claims happening on Sunday morning. So we didn't do that. But it's actually the point I was going to make if I did that was trust has to manifest itself in action. You have to do something to prove that you trust someone. When we say we trust God, but we don't live like it, when we live like we have to do it all ourselves, work on it all ourselves, when we act like God isn't there and he's not helping us at all, it kind of shows we don't trust him. We don't really have the amount of trust in him that we need. And so the first word there is trust, to actively believe in God, to actively put your faith in him. Trust in the Lord. Second part, trust in who? Trust in the Lord. Now, you've been around here long enough. I've taught this enough. You probably know. Anytime in the Old Testament you see the word Lord capitalized, that is the proper name of God. That is the sacred or holy name of God, which is Yahweh. So what this is literally saying is trust in Yahweh. Actively put your faith in Yahweh. That's the God of the Old Testament. I described this even earlier in this sermon series. Yahweh, when we say the word, we breathe out and we breathe in. Yahweh. He's saying God's the breath of life. He's everything. He's the great I am. He's the one that you can put your trust in. When I'm talking about the Lord, when I'm talking about God, I'm not talking about just anybody. There was a song by one of the Beatles many years ago. George Harrison wrote a song, My Sweet Lord. And everybody thought that was talking about God. And actually, he was talking about a Hindu God that he had begun to worship. So when I say Lord, I'm not talking about just some God out there. I'm not talking about Buddha. I'm not talking about Muhammad. I'm not talking about Krishna or any of these other gods. I'm talking about the God of the Bible. Put your trust in the Lord. Put your trust in the one who is revealed through this word. The God of the Bible, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the God of our Father, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Put your trust in him, not someone else, not yourself. In America, we kind of have this idea, hey, man, I can do it on my own. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps, make it work. I can do this thing on my own. I can get it done. I put my trust in myself. But I know myself well enough that over the years I've failed myself many times. I've trusted in myself. I've thought I could get the job done and I come up short. But as I said earlier, I put my trust in God and he's never failed me yet. He's never failed me yet. He always comes through. He always has more wisdom than me. He always makes happen what needs to happen in my life if I will just trust in him. So when we say trust in the Lord, we're talking about trust in the God of the Bible. Psalm 20 and verse 7 says, Some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. We trust in... I thought there'd be an amen there. So I'm going to read that again and give you guys another chance because you were thinking about La Hacienda and Cornhole. And I, I got it. I understand. Let's try it one more time. Psalm 20 and verse 7 says, Some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Okay, that's better. That's better. Y'all stay with me now, okay? Don't get distracted this morning. We trust in the name of God. His name is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and we're saved. He protects us. He keeps us in the midst of the storm. God is good. We've talked about that in this series, how he's our shepherd, how he walks alongside of us, how no matter, even if I walk in the valley of the shadow of death, he's there with me. No matter what I go through, he is there with me. I put my trust in the name of the Lord our God. Not the government, not some sort of program, self-help program. I put my trust in the name of God. You can place your bet on anything else in this world. I'm sure with the NFL season back in full swing that we have people now who are placing their bets on football games. I know that nobody probably bet yesterday that UNC would only lose to Clemson by one. I'm a UNC fan, and I thought they were going to get blown out. If you put your bet there, you lost probably if you, if you looked at the spread and all that sort of thing. You can place your bet on anything in this world, but I'm placing my bet on God. 
I'm placing my whole life in, in his hands. Everything I do is for him. I mean, if I'm wrong on God, I am wasting my life. The time I'm spending studying God's word, preparing sermons, going out and praying with people, going out and teaching the Bible, I'm wasting my life if I'm wrong. But I'm willing to bet that I'm right. I'm willing to bet everything that I'm right. I'm willing to go all in on God and say, I put my trust in the Lord. I don't know about you. You can put your bet on anything you want to. I'm placing my bet on the Lord God, the one that's in heaven, the one that created heaven and created earth. So that's who we trust in. Then the Bible, when the question we might ask to the Bible is, how do we trust? How do we trust? Well, it says, with all your heart. Trust how? With all your heart. Look, if you're here today and you're considering Jesus, you're considering this Christian thing, maybe you're, you're checking out worldviews and you're just saying, where can I place my trust? What can I believe in? And you're thinking about becoming a Christian. You're thinking about putting your life in his hands. I am glad that you're doing that. I think that's extremely responsible. More people, as far as religiously speaking, put their trust in Jesus Christ than anybody else in this world. And so you ought to check that out. You ought to check that out. You ought to do your due, due diligence on that and check that out. But I want to say this to you. If you're going to follow Jesus, you can't do it halfway. That's a myth. That's a lie. That's, that's a misnomer. That's why you cannot halfway put your trust in Jesus. You have to go all in with him. Because the way he works is if you give him a little bit, he's going to ask for more. And the more you give him, the more he wants of you until he has all of you. He will not settle for part of you. He will not settle for you being lukewarm. He wants all of you. God doesn't want half of you. He wants all of you. So I would just tell you this morning, I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't even start down that path if you don't think you can give him your all. Because that's really what he demands. He demands that you give your all to him. He demands that you give your life to him. Jesus said, consider the cost of building a tower. If you were going to go out here and you were going to build some sort of skyscraper, you wouldn't start even building. You wouldn't start the construction project. You wouldn't buy the land. You wouldn't hire the construction crew. You wouldn't hire uh, the contractor and everything. You wouldn't even start until you would calculate, could you afford to do that? You have to consider the cost. Well, what you're doing in following Jesus is much bigger, much more important than building a tower. And so Jesus says, look, don't even start down the path with me if you haven't counted the cost. It's cost plenty of people their everything over the years. Their very lives have been cost by following Jesus. Yes, it's free to follow Jesus. There's nothing you can do to earn it. But at the same time, it will cost you your very life. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Give him your all. If you're going to follow Follow wholeheartedly. I think you guys can probably tell over the last few weeks it's kind of come out of me sometimes when I didn't even mean for it to. I'm frustrated with the idea of Christians who want to halfway follow Jesus because he's calling for all of us. Go ahead and give him your whole life. Go ahead and put everything in his hands. Why? Because you can trust him. You can trust him. He's going to do right by you. You can trust him with your life. So what's the opposite? What's the opposite of trusting in the Lord with all your heart? Well, it's leaning upon your own understanding. It's leaning, in, in fact, a good translation of that might be leaning upon your own insight or your own intelligence. But Proverbs 3 is telling us don't lean on your own understanding. That's the wrong way to go. That's the opposite of putting your full trust in Jesus Christ. Don't lean on your own understanding. There are a lot of smart people in this world, aren't there? Are you, are you, I mean, there's a lot of dumb people as well, but there's a lot of smart people in this world. I mean, I, I love watching YouTube videos. I like listening to philosophers, and I like listening to people who have, who are scientists, and people just, they have expertise in their fields, and man, it's just amazing what human beings are able to do. James Tours, who is a Christian, who is a scientist, I was listening to him, and he works in nanotechnology, and he was talking about how they've actually made these little machines that you can fit like several hundred of them on the breadth of a human hair. And, they are, and they're working on getting them where they can go in and they can actually destroy cancer cells and, and things like that for medical research. And I mean, does that not amaze you guys the way that amazes me? A human hair, you can fit like tons of these little things across there and people were able to create that that just blows my mind there are some really really intelligent people really smart people out in the world 
But compared to the wisdom of God, their intelligence, their wisdom is nothing. Human beings, the human, the human mind can only comprehend so much. It can only get us so far. Even the best of us, even the brightest of us can only get so far down the road of understanding everything that our God has created. And then when we think we got it right, we find out we were wrong. It's kind of like dieting. Used to you don't eat eggs because eggs were bad for you. Now you do eat eggs because they're the perfect food. And used to don't drink coffee. Coffee's bad for you. And now you can drink coffee. It's good. I mean, it changes like every five years, okay? I'm not just saying go eat what you want, but my goodness, uh, we're always finding out something different because human wisdom is always changing. A lot of smart people in the world, none of them are as smart as God. One of the guys who intrigues me was a guy who was named Christopher Hitchens. How many of you have ever heard of Christopher Hitchens? Anybody besides me? Okay. He was one of what they called the four horsemen of atheism. After September 11th, I don't know if you guys remember how this all unfolded, but after September 11th, 2001, there was this upswell of faith in the United States. There was this upswell of patriotism. Churches were full. A lot of churches built new buildings because they thought it was going to last. They thought this upswell of faith was going to continue on. And so it was like right after 9-11, everybody was in church. I remember the night 9-11 happened, we called a special service and over in, in what's now Worship Center 2. I wasn't the pastor then, but I was attending here. And I, I remember we had a special service and I remember we sang and we, and we worshiped and we sought God's face because of that terrible tragedy that had gone on. And so there was this upbuilding of religious faith, but it dissipated, it went away, it did not maintain itself. And so after this upswell of religious faith went away, then there was this vacuum left, left. there was this hole left, and all of a sudden this, this thing came in, this sort of spirit that said, you know what, religion is bad, period. Not just the religion that knocked down the Twin Towers, not just the religion that attacked the Pentagon, not just the religion that crashed the plane into the Pennsylvania field, but all religion is bad. All religion is a source of problems in this world. And so these guys, they were called militant atheists or the new atheists. They came in and they started saying, not only is there not a God, but it's bad to believe in him. It's a cause of much problems in this world, much pain in this world to believe in God. And so they started attacking God. They started writing books against God. They started going on college campuses and teaching college students that there is no God and, and, and to even fight against, to fight back against those who would teach there is a God. And so this became part of our society in that vacuum that was left after 9-11. Turned thousands, if not millions, of people to atheism. And probably the most militant among them, probably the guy who, who was the angriest about the whole situation was a guy named Christopher Hitchens. It's interesting to read his story, his background story. He was sent off to a boarding school like many people in Great Britain, and he was treated very harshly there. They had a rule about everything, and, and they would even make up rules. And he said, sometimes you could be innocent, and they would still beat you. Severe beatings. He said, you know, a guy three times your size as a little boy would take you and just beat you with this rod and you didn't even know what you did wrong. And he said the same people who would do that to him every day made him go to church every night. And so he got to believe that this whole Christianity thing was a farce. He got to believe that these people who were beating him, it was the cruelest thing in the world, the most hypocritical thing in the world, to beat people for stuff they did not even do and then to wrap it up in a big bow about God. And so he became very, very anti-Christian. He wrote a book. His book was called God is Not Great. God is not great. When he first wrote it, I thought it was, you know, the little prayer that a lot of times little kids say before their meal. Um, but that's not what he was talking about. It's actually coming against Islam because that's the first profession of Islam is Allah is great or God is great. That's a major profession in Islam. So he wrote this book, God is Not Great. He went around and he debated some of the world's smartest Christians. And this guy was a great a, a great, he was great at debating. He was great at fighting against other beliefs. He was wonderful at speaking. And so he had all this talent, a very intelligent guy. And so he turned thousands, if not millions of people, he and his friends, to atheism. But then something happened on the way to nothing. Something happened to him. He found out that he had esophageal cancer. And when he found out he had this esophageal cancer, he discovered that he had a 5% chance of living. 
So here's a guy who has said there is no God, religion is bad, I don't want any part of it. All of a sudden he was faced with the fact that we all have to face he was going to die. And sooner rather than later. His life was not going to last. There was a, just a small, small chance that he would make it. So interest, interestingly enough, in this period after he found out that he was going to die of cancer, he began to become friends with evangelical Christians. He thought there was nobody stupider in this world, dumber in this world, if I can use that term, than evangelical Christians in the Bible Belt. People like me and you. He thought there's nobody dumber than that. Nobody I would least rather be around than people like that. But as he got around them and as he started to do debates in the South and as he started to meet these evangelical Christians, he found out something really strange. He found out he liked them. He found out they were really kind to him, even though he was trying to tear down and destroy their religion. He found out that some of his actual, he could actually be friends with them. There was one guy, he did two trip, road trips with him, studying the book of John together. And so it was almost like he was checking out this Christian thing. And they had a day, they actually developed a Christopher Hitchens day, where they asked everybody that was a Christian in America to pray for Chris, Christopher Hitchens. And so millions around this nation and around the world prayed that this guy would get saved. And so we were all hoping and we were thinking, maybe this guy will come to Christ before the end. But a few months before he passed away, he actually went on a television show and he said, I want you to know that if I ever turn to Jesus Christ, if you ever heard that I have converted, it means the cancer has gone to my brain and it has eaten my brain to the, part, to the point where I can't think rationally anymore. And his Christian friends went to them and said, basically, Christopher, why in the world would you do that? You're basically barring yourself from a conversion. You're barring yourself from ever changing your mind. And so I'd like to tell you that the end of the story was that Christopher Hitchens made a decision to follow Jesus and he converted. Some of his friends thought that maybe that happened, maybe that was a possibility, that maybe he had become a Christian, but nobody knows for sure most things point to the fact that he was an atheist all the way to the end of his life. A brilliant guy. Why did I tell you that story? He leaned upon his own understanding. He leaned upon his experience. He leaned upon what his rational brain could understand. He would not put his faith in God. He would not trust in God. Interesting part of that story, though. At his funeral, he had a lot of different songs. He grew up in the 60s and 70s, which, by the way, that was a great period for music, right? 60s and 70s, a lot of good music, a lot better than kind of the stuff that's coming out now, in my opinion. But anyway, he had a lot of these songs played, but there was a strange song played in the middle that did not fit the rest of the things that were played at his funeral. It was by a guy named Steve Winwood. You may remember this from the early 1980s, and the song was called Higher Love. Anybody remember that? It was, okay, yeah, you guys are kind of, kind of from my era, if you remember that. Not really a Christian song, but interesting he had this played at his funeral. Listen to the words. If you remember the song, it had kind of like a dance beat to it, and so the words could get lost in it. Listen to the words of this song. Played at the world's most notorious atheist funeral. Think about it. There must be higher love down in the heart or hidden in the stars above. Without it, life is wasted time. Look inside your heart, and I'll look inside mine. Things look so bad everywhere. In this whole world, what is fair? We walk blind, and we try to see, falling behind what could be and what could be. Bring me a higher love. Bring me a higher love. Bring me a higher love. Where's that higher love that I keep thinking of? The world's most notorious atheist, a man who debated Christians to a standstill, a man who tore down the faith of thousands, maybe millions of people, and yet he admitted to some of his close friends that was his favorite song because his entire life he had been looking for a higher love. Guys, that's powerful. That's powerful. Deep in the heart of every person, we long for a higher love than we experience in this world. And if we lean to our own understanding, if we lean to our own intellect, we miss out on that higher love that God has for us. You can be the most brilliant person in the world. You can have all sorts of degrees. You can have PhDs. You can write theses on everything. And still, at the end of the day, you're going to long for a love that's higher than anything this world can give you. You're going to long for that. But if you lean to your own understanding, you may miss it completely. Give me a higher love. I pray that God would 
give us a higher love. So what to do instead? Instead of leaning to our own understanding, the one that wrote the proverb here says, in all your ways, you need to acknowledge him. In all your ways, you need to acknowledge God. Let me give you the story of another one of the world's most brilliant men. A guy named Robbie Zacharias. I asked about Christopher Hitchens. How many of you know Robbie Zacharias? How many of you know that name? Be great. Look, look him up online. Amazing what this man teaches. He was born in southern India, and he was born to a Hindu family. Interesting about India, interesting about Hinduism. Hinduism claims to have 330 million different gods. So you have a lot of gods you can choose from. You have a lot of different things that you can worship. And so Robbie Zacharias is born in southern India to a Hindu family. In fact, if you go back far enough in his family, his family was the highest order of Hindu priests. Okay, so deeply religious, deeply Hindu, deeply ingrained in this culture. 333 million, 330 million gods to choose from. Another thing about India is in India, they believe that you make it through your mind. You make it through academics. You work hard. You do well in school. You graduate high school. You graduate their version of college. You go on to have a great job and make lots of money. And it's all about your intellect. It's all about academics. Robbie Zacharias, his entire family was doing great academically, but not him. He was failing as a student. He was not hitting the marks that he wanted to hit. And so his family was embarrassed. His family had a lot of shame, especially his father was ashamed that he had a son who was falling behind academically in a culture where that was so important to them. And so because he had all this pressure, because he was falling behind, because there was so much shame to bear, he decided life was not worth living. And so Ravi Zacharias goes to his school and he goes into the chemistry lab. And he just takes several different chemicals and he actually mixes them together and just decides whatever it is, I'm going to drink it and I'm going to let it kill me. So he drinks these chemicals down, trying to kill himself, falls over, and there's actually a janitor that hears him fall. If this janitor did not hear him fall, he would have died right there on the spot. This janitor hears him fall, comes in, takes Robbie Zacharias, calls a cab. The cab takes him to the hospital, and they save his life. He's there in the hospital, 17 years old, attempted suicide, family ashamed of him, first of all because of his problems academically, but now they're ashamed of him because he would dare to try to take his life, this son that they have raised. And so he's hopeless. He's laying in a hospital bed, barely hanging on to life, having seemingly having no hope or no future. And a man comes by that the family does not know. And the man simply gives his mom, Ravi Zacharias, gives his mom a copy of the New Testament. And so having no hope and, and having all these millions of gods and what's one more, she turns to the book of John and she b begins to read to Ravi Zacharias about this Jesus that they had heard so much about. When they got to the part of the Gospel of John where Jesus said, Because I live, you will live also. Ravi Zacharias says at that moment he put his faith in Jesus Christ. He turned away from the Hindu gods. He turned away from trying to make it in life through academics. And he turned toward Jesus Christ. He decided, I will not lean into my own understanding, but in all my ways I'm going to acknowledge him. Changed his life forever. And so when he comes to Jesus, this guy who was the poorest student in his family, this man who was going to kill himself because he could not keep up academically, he found that his mind was transformed. And he began to study about Jesus. He went on to get PhDs. He's gone on to speak in every, if you can think of a, an institution of higher learning, Oxford, Harvard, Princeton, all of these places he has gone and he has spoken at these places. He's debated some of the most brilliant people in the world and overcome them. And he's led thousands, if not millions of people to Jesus Christ. Why? Why was that life so transformed? He decided not to put his faith in his own intellect, but to put his faith in Jesus Christ. Not to lean into his own understanding, but to acknowledge God in all his ways. And his life was transformed. So if we do this, if we trust in the Lord with all our heart, if we don't lean upon our own understanding, if we acknowledge him in all our ways, what's going to be the final result? I think that's a, a fair question to ask. What will the final result be? Well, the Bible tells us that he, meaning God, will make your path straight. 
He will straighten out your path. By the way, at this time, if you're volunteering, you can be dismissed. If you're one of our volunteers for lunch or for the activities, you can be dismissed at this time. What does it mean that God will make our path straight? It simply means that God will put you on a road that will take you wherever you need to go. God will put you on a road that in this life will take you wherever you need to go. And ultimately, your final destination will be at peace with Him. Now, that doesn't mean the road that you're on won't have peaks and valleys. It doesn't mean that it won't have ups and downs. It will. Just because a road is straight doesn't mean you're not going to have some of that. You're going to have potholes every once in a while. You're going to have pitfalls. You're going to have things that you have to dodge. You're going to have to have obstacles. But He will put you on that straight path. We were talking about this in the office just the other day, and we were talking about people who claim to be Christian, but they promote wicked things. They promote things that are wrong. And, and I said, I have a hard time believing that such a person is a Christian. If somebody's promoting wickedness, if they're promoting that something that's evil, I have a hard time believing that they really know Jesus Christ. And I said, the reason for this is because Jesus said it's a straight and narrow road. And very few are going to find it. It's not a wide path that leads to eternity and leads to heaven. It's a narrow road that leads to heaven. But if you'll trust in the Lord with all your heart and if you won't lean on your own understanding, if you'll acknowledge Him in all your ways, then He'll get you on that straight path. He'll get you on the right path to go forward. He'll get you on a path that leads through the best path possible in this world, and then He'll lead you into eternity where you can live forever with Him. You say, Brent, do you really believe that? I've bet my life on it. I have bet my life on it. I have put every, I've gone all in on Jesus. So this morning, look, I don't want to give you a hard sell. As I was praying about this and as I was thinking about this, I did not feel like I wanted to give you a hard sell on this this morning. I presented the gospel through these verses. I presented, I presented the truth to you this morning, and hopefully you've been able to receive the truth. What I want to say to you, I just want to encourage you. If you're looking into Jesus, keep looking into Jesus. I think the further you go with him, the more that you find out about him, the more that he reveals himself to you, the more truth that you'll find. The more that you'll find that, hey, this thing is real. This thing is real. There really was a man who came to earth 2,000 years ago, God in the flesh, who came to save us from our sins. If you look into his resurrection, you'll find there were eyewitnesses who said, yeah, he really did come out of that grave. 500 eyewitnesses who testify Jesus Christ is the risen Lord and you can follow him and you can trust him. You can look into his disciples and find out they knew the truth but they were willing to lay their life down to say that Jesus was Lord. Even upon penalty of death, they would not stop following him. They would not stop trusting in him. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. So I'm going to encourage you, if, if you're here today and you don't have a path in life, if you're here today and, and you don't know which way to go, which road to follow, I just want to say to you, why don't you look into Jesus? Keep looking into Jesus. I'm, I'm willing to talk with you. I'd love to talk with you. We have staff members who would love to talk to you. Pull one of us aside, even today when activities are going on, and say, hey, what you were talking about Jesus, I want to know more about that. We'd be glad to share that with you. Look around at the congregation, those who are a part of our church, they'll be willing to share that with you as well. Look into Jesus. There's no path better. The way, the truth, and the life is Jesus Christ. This morning, I we're going to sing a song to close out here today, and then you'll be able to go out and be part of all the festivities. The food will be set up over to the left. I, I, I know we've got to have a little bit of time to have it set up, so you're going to have to be patient with us on that, but it will be over here to my left, over to your right in the Senior Life Center. We'd love for you to come. We'd love for you to participate in all the fun stuff that we've got going on today. But this song that we're about to sing basically tells the story of our church. It basically tells the story of what Christians, those who are truly following Jesus, believe about ourselves. We're nobody, but we're trying to tell you about somebody who can save your soul. So this morning I want you to just get up with us, stand up with us this morning. We're going to sing this song together. It's going to express our heart. It's going to express where we are, what we believe. And then you'll be dismissed, and we're going to have a great time fellowshipping together. We're so glad you're here today. Again, we'd love to invite you to come back, join with us again, learn more about God, learn about this path that leads to the greatest destination you could possibly find. Let's sing together this morning.
on now. Why you ever chose me has always been a mystery. Because all my life I've been told I belong at the end of the line with all the other not quite and all the never getting right. But it turns out they're the ones you were looking for all this time. But I'm just a nobody trying to tell everybody all about somebody who saved my soul. And ever since you rescued me, you gave my heart a song to sing. I'm living for the world to see nobody but Jesus. I'm living for the world to see nobody but Jesus. When Moses had stage fright, and David brought a rock to a sword fight, you picked 12 outsiders nobody would have chosen, and you changed the world. Well, the moral of the story is everybody's got a purpose. So when I hear that devil start talking to me, saying, who do you think you are? I say, I'm, I'm just a nobody trying to tell everybody all about somebody who saved my soul. And ever since you rescued me, you gave my heart a song living for the world to see nobody but Jesus. I'm living for the world to see nobody but Jesus. So let me go down, down, down in history as another blood ball, faithful member of the family. And if they all give my name, well, that's fine with me. For the world to see nobody but Jesus. So let me go down, down, down in history. Down in history. As another blood ball, faithful member of the family. And if they all forget my name, well, that's fine with me. I'm living for the world to see nobody but Jesus. I'm just Nobody trying to tell everybody all about somebody who saved my soul. And ever since you rescued me, you gave my heart a song to sing. I'm living for the world to see nobody but Jesus. I'm living for the world to see nobody but Jesus. Living for the world. Awesome job, team. Let's pray, and uh, then we'll go have a great time fellowshipping together today. Heavenly Father, we love you today again. Lord, I pray that we would truly live for this world to see nobody but Jesus. Our name is not important, but the name of Jesus is the name above every name. At the name of Jesus, every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so we want to glorify him today. Father, we thank you for, as we have this fellowship time, we thank you for the food that we're going to receive. We thank you for the hands that prepared it. God, we thank you that you provide for us. God, you nourish our lives. And God, I just pray that as we enjoy this time together, that you would not be forgotten in the middle of it, but we would understand that all good blessings come from you. Every good and perfect gift comes, comes from heaven. And so, God, I just pray that you would be even in the midst of our fellowship time here today. God, we love you. We praise you. If, if there are people here today who are, are wrestling with that big issue, is Jesus really who he said he was? Can I put my life in his hands? Can I trust him? God, I pray that you would help them to understand that, yes, they can. Yes, it's worth it, and their whole life can be transformed by who he is and what he's done. Thank you for blessing us today, God. Thank you for this time of worship. Thank you for the fellowship we're about to receive. It's in Jesus' name we pray these things.
And we all said together, amen. I love you guys, and there's nothing you can do about it. Have a great time fellowshipping together today. I'd love to talk to you after service if we need to do that. God bless you. You're dismissed. I'm just nobody trying to tell everybody all about somebody Living for the world to see nobody but Jesus. Living for the world to see nobody but Jesus. Let me go down, down, down in history. Has another blood of faith a member of the family. And if they all forget my name, well, that's fine with me. Let me go down, down, down in history. Oh, down in history. There's another black faithful member of the family. If they all forget my name, well, that's fine with me. Living for the world to see. Nobody but Jesus. I'm just a nobody. Somebody who saved my soul Ever since you rescued me Gave my heart a song to sing I'm living for the world to see Nobody but Jesus Living for the world to see Nobody but Jesus I'm living for the world to see Nobody but Jesus